y'all. Welcome to another episode of The Drip, the podcast where four academics of color sit around and discuss great books. Each episode features a free-flowing conversation about one book that leads us to a broader conversation about race, politics, and culture. All the things that keep us gabbing when we're hanging out in coffee shops or in each other's homes, or when we are each in our own homes, even though we're all fully vaccinated, because let's face it, it's kind of convenient. And it's still defund, dismantle, and abolish the police. I'm Anita Chikatur, the host for the show, and I teach in the Department of Educational Studies at Carleton College. Todd. I am Todd Lawrence. I teach African-American literature and expressive culture, folklore. I'm switching it up today. Folklore <laughs> and cultural studies in the English department at the University of St. Thomas. Thank you, Todd. Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> I love that giggle. I'm Crystal Moten. I am a historian working at a museum in Washington, D.C. Thank you, Adriana. And I'm Adriana Estel. I teach English and American Studies at Carleton College. And I love saying expressive culture. I'm just going to express, 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 expressive <laughs> culture. Yes. Excellent. Absolutely. All right. So before I introduce our book for today, I just wanted to acknowledge that we got some feedback from one of our listeners about our discussion last time about the coldest winter. They pointed out that, you know, winter was only 15 in the book, and we should have correctly referred to her as a girl rather than a woman, which we did several times. Um, and we just wanted to say, yep, great point. And as the listener pointed out, we should have been a bit more careful about not, not reinforcing narratives of adultifying Black girls and children. So thank you for that feedback. We appreciate it. And all of you listening, yes, please send us feedback. We appreciate it. All right, so today we are discussing the debut collection of short stories by Disha Filia called The Secret Lives of Church Ladies. Filia is an American author, columnist, and public speaker, uh, originally from Jacksonville, Florida. And the book has won the 2021 Penn Faulkner Award for Fiction, the 2020-2021 Story Prize, and the 2020 LA Times uh, Book Prize. Um, and it was a finalist for the 2020 National Book Award for Fiction. It is apparently currently being adapted for television for uh, HBO Max with Tessa Thompson. Oh, okay. I know. Very exciting. So uh, before we dig in, just a spoiler alert, as always, just a reminder that when we discuss our books, we will talk about everything. So as you may know, we do call ourselves the All Spoilers Collective. So consider this your perpetual, universal, all-encompassing spoiler alert. In other words, we are all about the spoilers and not about the summaries. No summaries. No summaries. No summaries. All right. So <laughs> I want to start us off by uh, sending a question to Crystal. And anybody else wants to jump in after. But Crystal, tell us a little bit about kind of what the term church ladies invokes for you. Um, and if you consider yourself a church lady, maybe what that means uh, for yourself. Yeah, I'm happy to start off with that question. And, you know, part of the answer has to deal with my experience growing up in, uh, quote unquote, the Black church, which is really a lot of different church experiences. Um, but I grew up in uh, um, a small Black church on the south side of Chicago in the United Methodist denomination, um, where I had a, a, a female pastor um, and as is typical for a lot of uh, African-American churches, where a lot of the running of the church actually was done by women. Um, and so in my experience, kind of thinking about church ladies, I think there are a lot of different types of church ladies, a lot, a lot of different uh, roles that church women in the church occupy. But, you know, there's a church mother, 
who is typically the elder, uh, who you revere, who you respect, who you look to to model the appropriate behavior, you know, wearing your slip under your skirt, wearing your stockings, <laughs> right? <laughs> Not wearing white before Memorial Day. <laughs> uh, then there is. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We got the, the, the mother of the church who usually uh, the front row is reserved for her. Mm. Then you have the the uh, the pastor, which is the first lady, right? The first lady of the church, who usually in some denominations is the woman who runs the women's ministry, right? <laughs> then you have you know the the church women who are the ushers, who sing in the choir, you know, who you know lead the children's church, right? Just so many ways of being uh, a woman in the church. But I think um, for me. Like what I think of uh, in that in that term church lady is that there's this outward understanding of what we think a church lady should be. Mm-hmm. But in, in, in her own private life. Right. There are all of these, um, you know, contradictions and all of these questions and all of these um, kind of ways she's thinking about herself and her role. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I would consider myself a church lady in the sense that I am, you know, a black woman who goes to church. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I also kind of think that the the, the word, the, the configuration church lady also has some age connotations to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to explore that more because when I think of like the quintessential church lady, um, I actually don't think of a lot of the women that we're reading about, right? And so I want to explore that more. What does it mean to call or, to, or to, to think about church church ladies in the context of the of the stories that we are reading? And then also think about the context of secret lives, right? right? That's also very interesting to me. So that's a big, huge question. I mean, is that kind of what that invoked for you? And like, obviously the title of the book is like the secret lives of church ladies. So you talked about kind of the private lives generally being so is that kind of what that like the secret lives part made you think of? yeah it, it's the, it's the private the private um aspect of being a woman of the church that where you're wrestling mm. with all of these rules with all of these regulations with all of and especially in regards to your sexuality i mm-hmm, mean mm-hmm. that really is what um you know is it, is the crux of this particular story um, in terms of how black women in the church are wrestling, you know, with their desires and their urges uh, against this backdrop that would um, have you say that, you know, your body is a temple Mm. and you need to, you know, save yourself for your husband. And, you know, like, so thinking about what all of this means and wrestling with that in your private life, because also conversations about sex and sexuality in black churches have not been um, uh, haven't we haven't addressed those those questions and those issues and so a lot of this has to be secret mm-hmm. because there's no space within the commonplace of the church mm-hmm. to have these discussions. Mm-hmm. Maybe before you jump in, Janet, I think it just made me think of this quote from the first story, which is uh, this is on nine, and it says. Um, you know, sort of the Bible is the inerrant, inerrant word of God. Is that, I'm not sure if that's how you say it. And the response yep, is, right. uh, yeah, okay. Um, mm-hmm. And you only believe that because, and you only believe that because of how another group of men interpret the first group of men. People say you're not, you're supposed to put your faith in God, not men. Do you think God wants you or anybody to go untouched for decades and decades for their whole lives? Like Sister Sewer, Sister Wilson, Sister Hill, my mother after my father died. 
all those women at church who think that they have to choose between pleasing God and something so basic, so human as being held and known in the most intimate way. So. Yeah, that actually um, fits. I, I was just going to um, bring up the, the quote with which the whole story collection starts. And it's um, from Ansel Elkins' poem, Autobi Autobiography of Eve. Um, and it's very like simple, uh, but it really fits onto this public-private um, dichotomy that you're setting up for us, Crystal. Let it be known, I did not fall from grace. I leapt to freedom, right? So like um, what happens in the public is constraint um, and it's understood to be grace. And there's a way in which all of these stories are exploring what does it mean to like actually fall from that public grace, um, but finding freedom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I love that, and I would just uh, you know when you when you were talking about that crystal, it made me think because I I didn't grow up in the in the black church, I, but I was sort of like black church adjacent maybe because uh, my grandma's church, you know Mount Olive Baptist Church in Marshall, Missouri. I went there whenever I went to visit her, and um, you know the the Baptist church at Pennytown, which is a black town where my family is from. And then my, I just was thinking like my uncle, uh, my uncle Whitfield was a minister. And, you know, so I guess the, the point in bringing all these things up is like, you know, all these people and you grow up with all these people and they all went to church and they all in, you know, on Sunday in the congregation performed a kind of, you know, kind of holiness and reverence and all this sort of stuff. But then you would hear these stories, like as a kid, as you grow, you get to a certain age, and then I'll be like, you know, hey, is like, is such and such, such and such his daughter? And they'd be like, oh, no, 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 she just adopted her because <laughs> such and such had her when she was 14, and then blah, 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 you know, like all this stuff, right? And like, I would eventually, I'd be like, oh my God, like all these people who just seem like regular people to me are all sort of connected in this like crazy kind of you know tapestry of like sexual relationships and desire and like you know um broken families and divorces and remarriages and all this sort of stuff you know which means they're just human beings right like it's nothing they're, they're not bad or anything like that they're just human beings which i think is a big part of the story collection is that these are women who have human desires and, and human feelings and the the that they want to be touched and they want to be connected with people, you know? And I think another important thing to bring up is like when you are talking about these women who in the church might feel as though they need to maintain a certain kind of behavior in a public demeanor and uh, reputation that I don't think men were held to that standard, right? Like that men didn't yeah. have to check mm -hmm. their desires. Like it was just sort of accepted men are going to do this dirt. But that women had this pressure to like publicly not be seen in that way. And we see that in the stories in a lot of mother-daughter relationships, grandmother-daughter, all that stuff. Let's jump right into Peach Cobbler, Todd, because I feel <laughs> like you're getting us right into yeah. one of the central stories. Perfect um, setup. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, in Peach Cobbler, we have the narrator who, um, you know, she's telling a story about growing up and thinking that her mother makes peach gobbler for, for God, it turns out that it's the reverend, right? That comes over almost every sun, Sunday, I think, maybe Saturday, Monday. I don't know. He comes it's on like, Mondays. He comes, he comes on Mondays. Monday. Yeah. <laughs> See, I should have known that. <laughs> but, um, but this, uh, you know, like we, you know, he gets to do this, right? And there's no harm, no foul. And 
for the mother, it's a much more complicated, nuanced balancing act she does that the daughter really struggles to, and eventually like can't can't square, right? She mm -hmm. she leaves at the end of the story. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting. So I was gonna. Oh, Crystal, you should also talk about why you started giggling about uh, <laughs> about God. But anyway, but so I guess kind of related to your point, Todd, about the men. Like, I'm sort of curious, right? So for like the pastor in this story, is it just like I assume that it's not like open though, right? It's still like an open secret. Like maybe he's not um, chastised for it, right? So is there like okay. right? Like if you know, like I don't know, yeah. could we have like a book that says the secret life of like church? Just but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't like be secret. Cool. I guess I think okay, open secret okay. might be the best way to put it. Like I don't yeah. know if you guys are, are watching. Um, there's a there's a, a recent television show about Aretha Franklin on. Um, oh. I can't remember what what service it's on, but anyway, her her father, uh, C. L. Franklin, one of the most famous black uh, preachers to ever do it, and you know this show represents him as the biggest horn dog you ever saw <laughs> in your life, and I guess like that was. Like it was just well known that C.L. Right. Franklin was preaching the gospel on Sunday. And on the other days of the week, he was out in the streets doing his business at parties. and, and all He was eating stuff. peach cobbler. He was eating peach cobbler. <laughs> and it, did, it didn't in any way sort of diminish his power okay. as, a, as a holy man of the church, right? I mean, yeah. uh, people knew people like some of the people were at the parties with him, you know, like it wasn't considered. And I think, you know, we talk a lot um, in African-American culture that the, the way that the sacred and the profane can exist together in, yeah. in the same space or in very close proximity. Right. So Saturday night and Sunday morning is not uncommon mm -hmm. for the same people who go out on Saturday night to be in church on Sunday morning and that mm -hmm. not to be mm -hmm. seen as a contradiction. Right. And so I think the same yeah. thing um, applies to preachers. I think, you know, mm -hmm. I don't want in any way besmirch, you know, preachers, but I don't think it's like an uncommon thing for a preacher to be like having affairs and, you know, being a little too friendly with the women folk of the of the congregation and people just sort of like, well, that's just how it goes or men yeah. will be men, you know, that sort of thing. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe Crystal, no, it just made me laugh about the sacred and the profane because in the in the story, she thinks that Reverend is God, right? Right. <laughs> so like, because her mom is calling him God. Exactly. <laughs> I feel right. like, like a very like funny like, um, like sacred and the profane. And so, can, can we quote that moment because it really is hilarious, right? Like she starts out the story actually saying, right, like yeah. my mother bakes peach cobbler so good, like it convinced God to sin. But then when she gets to, um, and I'm sorry, I don't have page numbers. I have my Kindle, but um, it's kind of the middle of the story, and her mother's like she's eaten some of the cobbler, and her mother is super angry and says, "Who does it belong to?" It, be it belongs to God. My mother's eyes widened. Are you sassing me, girl? She stepped toward me. I ran to the back door and pressed my back against it. Outside, I decided was still scarier than inside. My words came tumbling out. No, mom, I'm not sassing you. You make the cobbler for God. I make the... Mama dropped into a chair at the kitchen table. You think that she made a sound something like laughing and coughing and choking all at once. And I love this moment, right, where she has completely misunderstood. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, like, yeah. right, right. Go I mean, ahead. if you're a kid, like, uh, you know, I, I think like the, to be a child and to be growing up in a world where people aren't telling you what's going on, is like mm -hmm. such a strange and weird place to be because it seems like a perfectly good, 
conclusion to make. If your mother is screaming, oh God, oh God, oh God, when she's in the room with the guy, it must be God, right? Like that's that makes sense. <laughs> and and also like her mom won't give her any of the cobbler. Like like she's just making the cobbler for him. If he doesn't show up on Monday, like this is this is a standing appointment. And sometimes he can make it and sometimes he can't. She makes the cobbler. And if he doesn't show up, she throws it away. And then she Wait, which, Olivia, yeah. It's huh? so cruel. Yeah, it's Olivia so doesn't cruel. get to eat yeah. any of it. And so um, in the scene that you just quoted, Olivia was eating the cobbler out of the trash can. because well, she, she put in like a clean yeah. trash bag so she could yeah. like get the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the quote that Adriana wrote was on page 15. But I also did love this moment in 41 because like, the fact that she could imagine the reverend as God, right? Um, so she says, um, even before he started coming by on Mondays, I suspected that Pastor Neely, the pastor of hope in Church Baptist Church, was God. He was big, black, and powerful, as I imagined God to be. Um, my very first Easter speech memorized in kindergarten during Sunday day was Jesus is the Son of God, but I didn't find it odd that black God could have a blue-eyed blonde son. <laughs> <laughs> so Pastor Neely was dark, his uh, wife was pale, and their son Trevor, who was around my age, had gray eyes and was much darker than the Jesus, whose picture hung all over church. <laughs> so I kind of did love that, like, the fact that she could, you know, it's kind of like the Star Wars thing, right? So, like, James Earl Jones somehow gave birth to, like, a white baby, uh, like, who became whatever he became. And so, uh, <laughs> so it's like, it's a possibility. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why I love this collection of stories so much. I mean, throughout, it's just peppered with references to things in the black church that if you grew up going to you know predominantly african-american church like you would recognize right and so you know seeing the you know the images of god and jesus uh, you know brown skin with the woolly hair like with the afro like you like that just you know those references just just make you know that okay this is an experience that i know i understand um, and that kind of draws, it drew me into the, to the book even more that I was like, okay, I could see my, my experience, like even in the descriptions of the scenes that she's creating yeah. for us, you know, let alone the, the women's experiences, but even in the, in the narration of the um, various other parts of the story too. And then, you know, the choir saying, I love you, Lord, today. I mean, <laughs> what a quintessential black song. I mean, not, you know, the song we yeah. sing, so. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um, and there is a first lady in here, right? Because like yes. the mm -hmm. daughter ends up going to, I mean, that's complicated. So it goes, mm -hmm. goes, starts going to their house to tutor the kid, their kid, right? So she gets to, um, does she take over a peach cobbler, right? She I does. She takes yeah. over yeah. a peach cobbler. Yeah, because yeah. she starts making peach cobbler of her own and getting good at it too. Right. Yes. Right. Which we then find out. <laughs> like what happens to her when she grows up? Cause there's like a connected story. I don't know if folks wanted to jump to which that. It's an which, awesome um, story. Yes. Where's well, that? I guess before we jump yeah, to yeah, that yeah, one, I am just, I was just so like this Peach Cobbler story, kind of the way it kind of unfolds folds or unfolds, right? Like we see the mother in this relationship with the pastor and then, you know, Olivia is tutoring his son, Trevor, and she's thinking they're making this connection and they end up being intimate. And then he, she finds out that he actually took someone else to prom. Like, and so it's, it's just, I know I have a sense of the story is, you know, what we would call in, you know, would be that, you know, you know, the, the generational curse, that's the word I'm looking for. Like these generational curses that pass down from mm -hmm. family member to family member. And, you know, and maybe she's making a point about that, but I just was so 
disappointed to to read that she then is, mm-hmm. you know, being she's in the cycle, right? Mm-hmm. And then although you can I mean, yeah, we can talk about that, but I just I don't know. I'm always just hopeful that the the characters that I read that I really like don't have to go through pain and I can just see her in the first story in the first story right in the first story right exactly in the first story i i I wanted so much more for her especially with trevor because it seemed like like i said it seemed like they that she was going to narrate a story of connection and Mm -hmm. truthfulness and but But so i I have an alternate reading um okay okay, todd um which is you're gonna say what i'm saying yeah, probably. Like, I don't think this is a so so. Like the 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 base of this story for me is in some ways not really about the mom and the pastor, right? It's about her and her mother, and mm-hmm. this kind of um, way in which she has been abandoned by her mother. Right. She gets like you know the uh, what's the word? Oh my gosh, frozen meals. See, Todd, mm-hmm. I'm on the same level. TV for dinners. Yeah, TV dinners. <laughs> TV dinners. TV dinners yes. She gets TV dinners instead of homemade cobbler. The cobbler gets thrown away if he doesn't mm-hmm. arrive instead of her getting to have it. In in so many ways, right? There's this relationship that's not a relationship right. um, where she's never seen. Um, and she's having to carry her mother's secret. So she's not only mm-hmm. like not getting the love and the care. She, at one point she has that line, right? I just want to be touched like the peaches are touched. Mm-hmm. Like what yeah. are like like need and sadness in that because it's not that she wants a boyfriend. She wants her mother to care for her body the way that she cares for those peaches. Mm -hmm. Um, So later in the story, like after all the stuff from some Trevor, like we get this moment where she's like, um, you know, he still wants to hang out with her after and do more with her. Um, I don't know why I'm being coy, but I am. Um, after she finds out about the prom and the girlfriend mm-hmm. <laughs> and she pushes him away and he, Trevor says, all right, if that's how you want to be. And she asks herself narratively, I, how did I want to be? I wanted to be free of other people's secrets. And for me, that's mm-hmm. actually the mm-hmm. thing that she gains and the thing that she most wants. And she gets it right. She, she learns that kinship isn't, I mean, it's important, but it's not the thing that can keep them together. And that holding on to their secrets has poisoned that that relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I totally agree. I think in at the end, you know, where she basically, her and her mother have this confrontation, right? Her mother slaps her and, you know, she's crying and they're both really upset. And she basically says in the end, you know, so you don't have to worry anymore, mama. I said about me wanting to be anything like you. I swear my life won't be anything like yours because it will be sweet. And it won't and and it won't be crumbs. And and mm-hmm. and I mean, I think then when you connect that with the second story, I mean, it's not mm-hmm. it's not that she doesn't have sex out of marriage or whatever with with married men or something like that's not the change. The change is there's no secret. The change mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. I make the exactly. rules. I don't wait for mm-hmm. I don't wait for the pastor to show up on Monday night. I set the rules. I set you know right. uh, the the parameters under which yes. this is going to take place. And so she so takes let's talk power. about that narration, yeah. right? Because yeah. this narration is really different than anything else in the book. All yes. the other most, I think every other story has uh, this, you know, third person, you know, or actually, sorry, first person narrator who is speaking about their lives, right? So it's outside. Um, whereas this one is like directed at the reader. 
uh, you, the infantilized husbands of accomplished godly women are especially low hanging fruit. And that's the first line. <laughs> Right. So mm -hmm. it is um, it digs straight into like this presumed reader, this audience, um, these these married Christian husbands. And it's a voice that basically has has power, like you were saying, Todd, he sets the rules, sets the norms. Um, and I love right in the middle, we get the the less, you know, the better. Right. Boundaries are crucial. And I don't want to get married. And I swore I would never eat the crumbs like my mother did. Mm -hmm. And that's about that. I mean, I think maybe like this third page of the story and then maybe about six or six pages in, like, then you're like, oh, oh, and that's what I wrote. You know, I wrote on 148, Peach Cobbler, Olivia, you know, like I didn't know it right off the bat, right? And then <laughs> no, you, and I don't yeah. think we're supposed to, but it yeah, echoes right. the prompts thing that you read, right? Like, on, right. Cause that's, uh, because it'll be, my life won't be anything like yours because it'll be sweet and it won't be crumbs. And then she right. says... Um, I grew up watching my mother eating the crumbs and leftovers from another woman's table. I swear I never would. But here I am grubbing, licking the edges. So I actually think it's complicated, right? I don't know that she actually frees herself from other people's secrets, right? Just because she thinks she's in control. It's still a secret for like the people who come over and have sex with her, right? So like, mm -hmm. I don't know that it's like some sort of liberation story necessarily. Um, That's fair. I don't know that she yeah. is like leaping into freedom. But I mean, like... Yeah, I hear you. I hear you, but I think I, I also feel like if you if you're doing something under your own under your own rules, even if I mean, I don't see anywhere in here where she says like this is not necessarily the kind of life that I want, except for that line that you just read, maybe. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'll just I'll defer to you on this. I don't know. I just feel like I don't know that it's like a yes or no thing. I just think it's like more yeah. complicated than like she's like not living a life like her mother right that it's like actually there's like echoes of like that as well as like What's, a where's the page where, where you just read that um 148 149 so she says okay. so she's a baker <laughs> right? right so she owns a bakery and she says i own a bakery which is probably where we met maybe i baked your wedding cake or your daughter's birthday cake i make the best peach cobbler in the city and then she gets to the line about i grew up watching my mother eat the crumbs and leftovers um so i don't know i think there's like ambivalence right in the story in terms of how she feels about how much control she does have or doesn't have. And I feel like setting up all these rules to me sort of talks about that ambivalence in some ways. So what does that line, uh, you know, that you say, so you, um, I grew up watching my mother eating the crumbs and leftovers from another woman's table. I swore I never would, but here I am grubbing, licking the edges. Like I would love to like talk about that line. Like, cause that could mean, I think as you're reading it, right. It's like, I'm doing the same thing. Is that how you're reading it? Not I'm doing the same thing, but that more like there is a difference, but the difference isn't um, that she's, you know, like this, uh, the declaration she makes at the end of the other story, right? That I'll never be anything like you. Like, mm -hmm. I think that it's more complicated, right? Like, I don't think she's just like her mother, clearly, right? There's like much more control. She's not waiting for like God to show up on Mondays, right? Like she has more control and she has more freedom in how she interacts with the men that she's sleeping with. Yeah. And so, I think, you know, maybe, Oh, go, go ahead. ahead no, you go ahead. I was going to say, you know, a difference that I'm seeing is that, you know, her mother maybe wanted more, but couldn't get it. Right. But here she is saying like, well, I'm still eating crumbs, but this is my choice and I'm controlling mm. how the crumbs are served up. Mm. I'm controlling, you know, the flavor of the crumbs, you know? <laughs> and so, so I think if we think about, you know, freedom, 
as, you know, being able to choose, mm-hmm. being able to determine, you know, how you're going to play the game. I think she's still under constraints, right? And the constraints right. that she, she, you know, you know, are under revolve around still what's possible for black womanhood, um, mm-hmm. you know, in a context where there's misogynoir, right? And right. so she's under these constraints, but mm-hmm. um, I think what I'm reading from, from that is, you know, a little bit like, yeah, I said I wouldn't have, I would never do this, but I'm making the choice. Mm-hmm. To, and I know that if I wanted the 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 main course, mm-hmm. that I could get the main course mm-hmm. if I wanted it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that's what right. I was gonna. Oh, I, I was just gonna say, like, if the if the thing, what would be the thing that she doesn't have that her mother also didn't have? Because I don't want to. I think it's problematic to be like. Um, if you're having sex out of wedlock, like that's the thing that that's the the shortcoming or like you're not married or like, what is it? It's, is it, is it happiness? Is it pleasure? Is it pleasure without, you know, without strings? I mean, what exactly is it? And I think that that line is like, it's just enough ambiguous, but here I am grubbing, licking the edges. Like if you're licking the edges, you got the pan and like grubbing, <laughs> <laughs> like grubbing is like. Could could be just like eating the whole thing, like just yeah, noshing yeah. the whole thing. Knocking it back, yeah. yeah. Okay, so I, I, I think oh, there's some. Yeah, I, uh, okay. I think there's some I, ambiguousness there. Yeah. 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 Mm. I mean, I, th- I think it is truly ambiguous in all the ways, right? It, I I think both everything that's been said is credible and makes and it makes the story really interesting. The the one thing I would add is like there. This is like a set of instructions for Christian married men. Right. Mm-hmm. So like this is one of her documents. I don't know. Like she has a whole life outside of the instructions for Christian married men, true. I would imagine. Yeah. So like yeah. I'm I'm I don't know, like I imagine this character is someone who like there's something about all these rules. It, you can see it as someone who um, doesn't want to like get involved with men at all. But I think it's it's actually just I don't want to get involved with Christian married men. Mm. And there's a particular sort of danger in that pairing. Mm. Oh Um, yeah. And so there's this one moment where she, and I don't know why this stuck out to me of all the kind of admonitions that she has um, in these instructions, but under your religion, Mm-hmm. she's like, if guilt gets the best of you, do not attempt to witness to me or invite me to church. Don't ask me to repent because I regret nothing. You can't save me because I'm not in peril. And I thought that was such a, like a really distilled kind of part of this whole story, which is you might be coming to this for a sort of relation of, um, you know, control and possession and saving. And mm-hmm. I'm not here for any of that. I'm here for good dick. Mm-hmm. 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 And I yeah. think that 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 quote kind of I am not in peril takes us back to the beginning of the of the of the volume, right? Where mm. she's like, you know, I leapt to freedom. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not in danger of, of anything. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Yeah, I mean I think you know it goes back to this kind of notion that we have in our culture of like a fallen woman, which goes back to Eve, right? And mm-hmm. and the idea that you know, a woman who is um, promiscuous, a woman who, you know, you know, sleeps with other men's or other women's wives, other women's husbands, all this or other women's wives. I guess we can have that in mm-hmm. this book, too. Um, but whatever it might be that they're missing out, like really their life is a kind of pathetic thing because they don't have the thing that these other people, other women have because they have husbands mm-hmm. and they just want that. And they can only get part of that because when you're sleeping around mm-hmm. with other uh, with other women's husbands, you can't have the whole thing. But this shows us like you can get all these women in this book 
who men have left them, like men are not present in their lives. And this is like, there, there are a couple of stories, I think, that show you the way that that can be addressed, right? And here's one way, which is to like, just do what you want and go outside of the confines of like traditional marriage or what would be acceptable in church life or something like that, you know? Yeah, and I guess to be clear, I wasn't judging her on the choices that she made. I was just curious about how she felt about her own choices, right? Mm -hmm. Like in terms of, and I think that line, which I think you've sort of like helped me read maybe a different way. I think when I read that, I was kind of like, oh, like that's not actually how I was reading initially this whole thing, right? Because I was like, she's like, this is what I want, right? And this yeah. is like how how I want what I want, right? Mm -hmm. So like yeah. you're, you coming into my house is going to be fully on my terms and hear like what the terms are. But I think when I read that line, I was kind of like, oh, like that's interesting because that actually kind of went against how I was like initially reading the story. But maybe you're right. Like maybe that line isn't well, like it's ambivalent and ambiguous, but maybe yeah. we could, like, I think it can go both ways because there yeah. is that that but right. It's got that yeah. coordinating conjunction, right. and you could read it like, oh, it's it's the contrast of the meaning of the previous sentence, or yeah. it just separates the t it separates the time, right? Like that this was what she did, this is what I'm mm -hmm. doing. So I mean, you could read it either way. I yeah. think I, I think it's like good to consider both possibilities, or that both possibilities are in the in the the story in as the well. story yeah um, if we can just i mean this is not going to answer this ambiguity but um the very ending of the story <clears throat> when it's under the departure label and she says shower don't gather your things leave nothing behind slide your ring back onto your finger tread until you are back on dry land and the tread until you are back on dry land is a really interesting last line um because it really suggests she's either out in the middle of this metaphorical water, right? And he's the one who's going back to normalcy or to public life, right? As we were talking about early on or to um, something visible within the church or, or she's an island, right? And she's found this like utter separation from the norms of, so I'm, I'm thinking of it very much as mainland versus something else that she's yeah. occupying. I think Todd, your point about like, what people want other than like, you know, just getting married to a man made me think about maybe we could jump to kind of think about the three kind of explicitly queer stories in the in the book. Uh, but maybe before we do that, we, we will take a short break and we will be right back. Hey, spoiler fans. This is Dr. Crystal Moten, the professor and host of Black History 101, the podcast featuring all things Black women's history. Check out the first season, which is available wherever you get your podcast fix or on blackhistory101.com. After you listen, go do some homework and be sure to tell me what you've learned. Um, so the very first story that, right, I think that I refer to, um, read part from because like Crystal um, was talking about it, was is the first story is called Eula. Um, and I, oh man, that story was like, lovely but also just frustrated me so much because i'm like i just wanted them to be together and just like get over this idea that she's gonna like find a husband which is also what um oh what's the other woman's name um carletta uh, is that how you say carletta carletta okay carletta yeah. um there's an extra syllable syllable in there <laughs> also we'll have to talk about these names because they're awesome um right so like basically they've been in this relationship for a while right like so they met in like 10th grade and then they got together in, on their 30th birthday, I want to say. Um, 
and sort of have been together since then. And right, Yula keeps looking for the husband, uh, <laughs> which actually I had forgotten about this part. So on page five, I guess the person that she um, thought she, Yula was thought she was going to get engaged to says both Yula and Reese got a surprise at night. The romantic dinner at a rooftop restaurant, the original surprise, was interrupted by Reese's estranged wife. I forgot that there was like a wife and like a stepping out uh, in that story as well. But yeah, so there's that one. And then there's Snowfall, right, which is about uh, Rhonda. Why can't I ever not remember the other person's name? Because I feel like it's, oh. There's a lot of names. Well, also, actually going back to Adriana's earlier point, there's actually a few stories in here from the first person, not just um, Olivia's story, because this is also from an eye perspective. Um, so it's Rhonda and her um, partner, wife, right? And kind of thinking about that. And then the final one was Jael. So I just, um, I appreciated, right? Sort of the inclusion of the three queer stories, which are like queer in like different kinds of ways and as well. And so, um, yeah, I'm gonna stop talking there. Wonder if anybody else wanted to jump in. No, I thought I thought those were really great stories too. I mean, I was saying before we started recording to you all that there's not one of these stories that I don't like. I I just like there's some that are my favorites, right? That I like a little bit better. Um, but I think that those stories are really interesting. I mean, to start off with that story, right. um, for you know, uh, a di full disclosure to everyone, like we we're I I was probably the last person to finish this book because I actually finished it this morning. And so we have a uh, group, in your mind. <laughs> that's right. We have a group text where while we're reading these books, there's messages going back and forth and they were there messages about uh, how racy this is and what's going on. And like all these different, all kinds of memes and everything. And I was like <laughs> trying not to pay attention, you know, because I don't want to get ruined it for me, but I had in my mind uh, that this was going to be like the super racy book. And also I sent my mom a copy and my mom finished it before me. And I said, mom, what did you think? And she said, oh, those church ladies are sure bad. And so I was like, uh oh, <laughs> it's going to be another racy book. So when it started with that one, I was like, oh, man, this is racy. Oh, man. But, it, but it's like, you know, I think there's like so much tenderness in this book. Mm -hmm. And there's mm -hmm. so much like even as much as there is like abandonment and, you know, people who feel unfulfilled and characters who seem alone or really searching for something can't seem to find it there are also these characters who even in a situation like you have in this first story where you know it seems pretty clear that they should just be together <laughs> but that but that the one character is really convinced that this is just some kind of you know sort of holding pattern until i actually get the thing that i'm supposed to get which is to be yeah. married yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And again, going within like the sort of confines or expectations of, you know, sort of public church life. Um, but even when she is sort of denying um, the legitimacy of the relationship that they've been having for years, there are those moments in it and it's, and it's, she gives into them, right? Like, even though she's sort of pushing back, like, oh my God, you're not a, you're, you're, you're not a virgin and like all that stuff that, and then at the end it ends with, with, you know, them, you know, having a very intimate moment, you know? So I think, I think that's what I love how you're talking around that moment, Todd. I want yes. to talk more bluntly about that moment. Okay, please because, talk more bluntly. Um, I just because, said my mom's name just to, like, I just referred to my mom a little bit ago. So you look, can surely. 
So hi, Mrs. Lawrence. Uh, maybe you want to close your ears right now. Not fair enough. Emily's going to get into it. I, I totally uh, second that. Please, you know, if anybody's sensitive to talk about sex, just uh, you know, fast forward a little bit. But you know, uh, so Eula's been resisting uh, Carolata for years now, as Anita mentions. It's they're they're forty. Um, and they've known each other since high school, and um, and they've really been kind of a um, a default partners uh, for for many many years. And Carolotta's, I think, what the story does really beautifully through her narration is show like how much she adores Eula and hopes that she can convince Eula that this is okay, right? That this is not against the church or not against. It might be against the church, but it's not against God. Right, because that's the distinction we're getting here, um, and so for, to to have that um, that distinction she's trying to make to Eula, and then to have the end of the story be her opening up Eula's legs and beginning to eat her out, and saying she spreads her knees apart, I push down gently on the inside of her thighs until she is open like an altar. I am speaking in tongues. Eula has her prayers, and I have mine. And it is gorgeous. It is just a beautiful end to the story, even as you know that prayers are not usually answered. Yeah, and I feel like I like the word that you used, uh, tender, because I feel like Snowfall actually has, I'm pretty sure, no sex in it, right? Yeah. Like it's about, so. and like the first line is, black women aren't meant to shovel snow. And it's kind of just <laughs> about this like daily living with this like person she loves. And I feel like the ending was like so beautiful, right? Because it was like mm -hmm. basically Rhonda trying to like recreate the life, like being like South and being, right? So I just feel like that yeah. actually is like an interesting story because I feel like it wasn't racy. And I love that this was like, one of the queer stories I was like included in here, right? Cause it was about mm -hmm. like a relationship and it was about like figuring out how to be with each other in a space that in a geographic location that's neither of theirs rarely. And so um, I just like, I think tenderness is like exactly the word that I would have used for that story. Um, and not, and not tragedy, right? Like this, no. you know, not this yeah, kind of like thing point. where it's yeah. like, oh, they can't be too, there, there is a way in right. which like the, the first story Eula is, is tragic even in that even in that ending right um mm -hmm. but the but the snowfall is like a celebration yeah. you know yeah. um how do you get past those really difficult moments of being rejected by your family yeah. you know and 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 it's about chosen family Yep. And I love that. I feel like we mm -hmm. definitely need more queer stories that aren't tragedies, right? Because mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. lots of queer people love and live and are totally fine, right? Mm -hmm. Despite like the trauma that the world puts them through. And so Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a great, great um, example of that. And it makes me think I'm not skipping. We can come back to JL if you want to. But I think um, how to make love to a physicist is also, even though it's not a queer story, but it's a story that does the same thing with black love. Because mm -hmm. so often black love is shown to be tragic as well. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. those two stories for me were really, really important for sort of showing. I mean, I love just the last line. I don't I can't even find it real right now, but it was like, How do you love how do you make love to a yeah, physicist with your whole self or something like that, right? Yeah, it says um with your whole self, quivering, lush, unafraid on paper. Yeah. 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 You know what? You no, go ahead. I was just going to say that what I love about that story too, I mean, you're right that it is, it's about tenderness, um, but it's not about demanding tenderness from this guy. It's about mm -hmm. her learning how to be tender with sure. herself. Exactly. So tenderness is really like this incredibly important theme of learning how to live in that world with tenderness and love. Uh, 
mm-hmm. um, for 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 oneself and and in these relationships that are complicated. Um, yeah. And I thought I, I just want to say more one more thing, and you think what you were saying, Adriana. But I was thinking about this collection when I I wasn't all the way finished with it, and I I started to think like, oh, is this like there there are not that many black men in the book. I started to think like, oh, is this a a book that has sort of like bad representation of black men mm-hmm. because they're absent and stuff like, but it isn't because there are, there are uh, at least two black men in this book who are fine partners and who mm-hmm. support their partners. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and they're fine. I mean, like they're they're in, in this case, he plays a really prominent role. I think it's in uh I think it's the last story where there's Tony, I think is his name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's um, fine, right? Like, there's he's there. He's not absent or anything. So, I mean, I don't think anybody can say that this is, you know, a collection of stories that, that bashes black men or something like that. It actually, I think it just is a, a, a sort of represents a kind, a particular experience. I mean, if I'm looking at, like, my family, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, 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 of black men who, have, who haven't done the right thing, you know? Like, that's just a thing. And uh, we try like won't kick them out of the family. <laughs> you just, you just like they're there. That's a thing, right? And and I think can yeah, can I ahead. interrupt you, Todd? Though because please I think do because I feel like I'm getting. <laughs> <laughs> please stop me. Well, and I'll be interested to see what Crystal thinks about this because I think the way I would put it is that this story is interested in patriarchy, right? It's interested in the structures that produce our norms around loving and sexuality, and um, you know permission to to find freedom in particular ways, but I don't think it actually just, I don't think it cares much about the men, yeah. right? Like that that's, those aren't the characters that we're invested in that, that like the narrators, um, they're interested in kinship, right? Like the last story you mentioned uh, when Eddie Levert comes is really about, oh my God, that she's been called daughter her entire life. Yeah, right. yeah. And now she's taking care of her mother who's clearly right. Like in some stage of dementia um, and is she's, she's struggling to figure out family and, mm-hmm. and mother daughter and that Tony is, is fine, but he doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't, yeah. No. I, and, and like, just thinking about that story, when she asked her mother, could you, could you like um, apologize to me for how you treated me? And like, she realizes like, she's never going to get that. Never okay. going to get that because her mother is not there anymore and pro- and probably would resist it if she was right even if she was in her right mind she would resist it um and and that sort of takes me back to um how to make love to a physicist because it is how do you how do you live your life fully how do you be kind to yourself how do you allow yourself to let other people be kind to you when you don't think that you deserve it or exactly um, Right, you know, and, and you know how- why it's this is a cool story too, because mm-hmm. the answer is therapy. It's not the man, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. It, like the story, the answer in the story is not about the guy. It's about therapy, mm-hmm. and there's this lovely arc throughout, like all of the therapist's questions, inviting her to like sleep naked, to feel her body, to get more comfortable with herself. So I mean, first, yeah, eventually she gets to make love to the physicist, but like, I was she had to find if I can bring you in here because I know it was one of your favorite stories too. So, like, can you, why was it one of your favorite stories? Well, I mean, I, it was, this was one of the other stories where I just immediately saw, saw 
myself and my experiences in it, especially like you think about she's at a conference, right? <laughs> she's at a PWI conference, right? Mm. And this is where she meets Eric. And, you know, she's doing that thing that Black people do where it's like, okay, let me count how many Eric and he got these little baby dress. He kind of cute. Like you, you hear all of this internal dialogue she's having. Mm -hmm. And then the other part, the other kind of way the story connects is because she's embarking on like getting to know Eric and you, I mean, I, I, you literally see her, you know, going through all in her mind about, oh, like, this is not going to work. This is not going to work. Like, so you, like, I literally hear her trying to convince herself that he actually is a good guy, especially when you have to combat so many narratives about black men, you know, through the media, through society. And the one that black women in the church usually get is that, you know, you're not going to find a good one, mm -hmm. right? You're not going to find, it's, it's actually, you know, you know, the man that finds a wife finds a good thing. Like that's the Bible scripture, right? Mm -hmm. And so huh. I just see her throughout this entire story, not really believing that Eric is is who he says he is, who that he's real, that he's gonna treat her right, that he's seems he's healthy, he got a good job, you know, like all of these things I can just see. Um, and, you know, in some ways feel her experiencing and just that resonating completely, even down to the therapy, like, yep. Mm -hmm. She knows black women. Like this is a story that um that just resonates. And and I was just, yeah, it just it also just made me happy and joyful to read as well. Um, because we get her, you know, being who she is and get him being who he is and them coming together and you know, her having to work through some things. But in the end, right, she is be she's herself, her full, whole, lush self, right? And that's just I really enjoy it. That. That's that. what it should be, right? Like in yeah. in any relationship, mm -hmm. you should be able to be your full, whole, lush self with the other person. I mean, I think I always used to. I, I mean, I'm, I'm by far not where I need to be, like as a person in a relationship. But I've been working for many years. But like, I remember when I first started out. You know, it, it, you know, I would be like in a, in a long in a in a serious relationship. I'd be like, okay, what am I gonna have to compromise? Like what? What what you gonna want me to change, or what you gonna take from me, or what you know, like mm -hmm. oh, like it was some sort of competition where I had to like stake out my uh, you know, I don't know, my territory and like you know keep it keep it safe from her or whatever. And you you find out over time, like if that's the way that you approach a relationship, it's not gonna work. It's it's gonna be exactly what you set it up to be, which is a competition in which nobody wins, right? And so you have to find out how you can both be who you are fully in it in this relationship and like nurture each other to be who you are hmm. and like so many people don't don't sort of approach it that way i think mm -hmm. and so you mm -hmm. see and, and and there are various reasons why we don't right like because we don't think i don't think i really have much territory or you know like you know there are these sort of things that that people sort of think about themselves and and both where they're larger than with than how big they should be in the relationship or smaller you know so I love the way these stories, especially mm -hmm. those two, like give us that, give us an example. Yeah, of that. yeah. And and one quote on page um, one ten is after uh, she's kind of you know been silent, ghosted him, and they're having a conversation. And on page one ten, it's him who says, 
You know, I need you to use your words though. He said, if we're going to do this, I need you to try. And I promise I won't ever do anything to make you regret trying. And then she thinks, you know, you, you try to remember the last time a man made you a promise. You decide it doesn't even matter. This man is making you one now. That's what matters. Okay. And so it's like, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's the combination of dialogue and then getting, you know, how she's having to change her mind about yeah. how she's been conditioned. Yes. Or even how she's experienced certain things. And she's having, you see her changing her mind in that very moment okay. and choosing, right, to, 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 to take this man at his word and to take the promise that he is. Okay. It's, a, it's a therapist moment, right? Where right? She's, she's heard the voice of her therapist in her head and she's managed to interrupt her own narrative. And like I, at the top of that same page, at least for me, um, you know, I was going to quote something really similar, um, Crystal, where she talks about, and as your body begins to feel like a home, your courage grows. Mm. And so like that, that's the pairing, right? It's about being willing to like actually take his promise at his word, um, you know, combating her own narratives, but it's so tied to like feeling like her body is worth it, right? Like that it is a home. And which is so interesting too, because it's not a temple, right? It's not the, the kind of religious speak of my body's a temple. It's my body's my home, mm -hmm. right? Um, Mm -hmm. um, so I was wondering if I could pick up on something Crystal said as our final question so we could wrap up. But Crystal- Final question! <laughs> final countdown! Yeah. So Crystal, you sort of said, like reading the story, especially maybe, you're like, she knows Black women, right? So I think I was kind of thinking about that because we were talking about, um, some of us read this article about sort of how, or how this book got published or where it got published. So that made me think about it, sort of this notion of like, what books get published and who does it resonate with? And like, how do those of us maybe who don't have the same experiences kind of read these kinds of books? So I guess um, those of you who actually read the article that was sent around in the group text, um, maybe talk a little bit about that journey and like kind of thinking about this book as something that'll obviously resonate very much in particular ways with particular audiences, but also, right, I'm not a church lady and I love this book, so, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I think one of my, you know, initial thoughts to that question is that there's this, you know, this belief that, you know, if you speak to a certain audience that, in, in, in particular Black women, that their experiences are not universal enough to catch a more general audience. Uh, but I think that that's totally false and that's totally wrong. And you see that, you know, in a collection of stories like these, where so many of the stories, um, even if you haven't grown up in this tradition, you can understand, you know, they, they evoke emotion, right? They may not resonate with your own personal experience, but, you know, it, it's in the, it's in the way, um, you know, Disha Phil y'all tells these stories that invites in a broad, you know, audience. And so, but I think what we see in the publishing world is, you know, a, 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 an industry driven by profit on the one hand. And then on the other hand, you still see how Black women and their stories and their experiences are marginalized, are discounted, and, and people don't think they're worth much. And so, you know, a, a collection like this, you know, is not published with some big major publishing company because they can't take the risk. Well, what if only, but then the other question is, well, what if only black women read this book? This book would still be a bestseller, right? Mm -hmm, and so that's mm -hmm. still discounting mm -hmm. the power of black women mm -hmm. and our literary traditions. Mm -hmm. We gonna read this book, y'all. So <laughs> thank you, Crystal. <laughs> I totally agree with everything you said. And I would add one tiny little thing, which is that it's fascinating that short stories are actually probably the the poor stepchild of the publishing world. So there's a kind of significant um, 
you know, I, I mean, the poets would disagree, but there's still like there, there are poetry outlets um, where people manage to like uh, keep publishing amazing poetry and doing great work with small output, right? Because not many people buy poetry these days. Um, novels, of course, are the, the coin of the realm um, and they sell, I guess, really well. Like, I don't know, I don't have numbers, but like you can find novels everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. And for short story writers, there's this like really this huge challenge, which is, do I, do I try and put out the short stories or do I take one of these short stories and build it into a novel? Do I wanna write a novel um, you know, and just do these in journals. Um, mm -hmm. And so she she actually published a couple of the stories in literary journals, which is a pretty common path. But I am so glad that she decided that it was, that her agent decided, that the publisher decided that it was worthwhile because I think this is, it makes for a beautiful collection with a lot of connections that aren't just about, you know, peach cobbler narrator, um, <laughs> but are about, right, these, this kind of like struggle to figure out like how to be, how to be free, how to find love. Mm -hmm. um, and how to love yourself. And that's a universal, a universal. kind of quest, mm -hmm. right? It's a universal quest. So. Yeah. Cool. I think that is a great place to end. Um, so uh, as we always do when we end, let's go around and say maybe what you're reading, watching, listening, eating, whatever. Um, so let's see, Crystal, you wanna start us off? Sure, I will start us off. I'm actually, um, news is that I received the reader reports from the book or the book that I'm writing. Yes. So I'm so I'm so excited about that. The 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 comments are so helpful and it's gonna oh, make it be the best book it can be. Um, but one of the things I am having to do is kind of think about a concept that I'm introducing in the book related to Gramsci's um, organic intellectual. Mm -hmm. And so I am going <laughs> reading theory right now, which is not fun because I don't like reading theory, but I am reading, um, <laughs> I'm reading selections from the, um, Prison the prison notebooks. notebooks. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. Hard reading. Cool. Yeah. And also, congratulations, Crystal. That is amazing. I'm really excited Thank for you. you. Uh, there is a book exists. Woo! Yeah, we even <laughs> plug it on the podcast. Uh, yes. Well, then we already are. Uh, Todd, you want to go next? Uh, I'm not currently reading anything because I finished reading this book this morning. But I do want to mention uh, three, three things that, um, so one I'm listening to. Uh, which is a podcast called The Midnight Miracle. This is Talib Kweli, Yasmin Bey, and Dave Chappelle. And this oh, just wow. came out. Yeah, it, there's two episodes out. And it's really like, it's basically just like them having conversations with like music intercut. It's sort of, it's really cool. It sounds really cool. There's lots of good music. Um, and if you've ever heard, you know, uh, Dave Chappelle just tell a story, there's lots of that. But I didn't know that the other two were really great at telling stories too. So it's a great uh, podcast. You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, I also wanted to say, this is kind of a self-plug. Um, this book just came out. It's called Spark, uh, George Floyd, Racism and the Progressive Illusion. And this is like a mm. book uh, collection of essays from uh, academics um, in Minnesota about yeah. like basically about racism in Minnesota. And uh, yes. it's really, I haven't read them all, but I wrote one of them and I know that one's good. So I'm just kidding. Yeah. All good. Um, and then this, uh, finally, this book, this is another collection. It's called Where There's a Revo uh, There's a Revolution Outside My Love, Letters from a, from a Crisis. And this is edited by Tracy Smith and John Freeman. And um, this is like a, a collection of essays um, about the present moment of crisis. And it looks really, really great. So I'm gonna read that when I get a chance. Awesome. Thanks, Todd. And congratulations mm -hmm. to you as well. Um, yeah. I don't know. 
Um, just a disclaimer right up at the top, I do not write for television. So there's no congratulations that's gonna come to me from this recommendation. Um, I've watched, I wish I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really strongly recommend, like, as in go out, get the Peacock app, sign up for like the free seven day service and watch Rutherford Falls. It is a sitcom that um, somehow makes it comedy to take a guy, Nathan, who directs his like family's ancestors museum. He lives in the town of Rutherford uh, that his ancestors supposedly, it, scare quotes, founded. Um, his best friend is um, a Native American woman from the local tribe who directs the cultural center in the casino in the nearby um, reservation. And um, they spend a whole, uh, oh my God, it's just so amazing. It spends the whole season digging away and kind of chipping away at the settler colonial narratives with such humor so that by the end, like, um, I don't want to give too, I, it doesn't give anything away. Spoiler! I mean, spoiler <laughs> All the spoilers. Um, you know, the statue kind of comes down in a way, right? Um, and Nathan has to reevaluate his whole relationship to this town. But the real standout is that his, his friend, who is not the protagonist, even though she should be, um, is played by, I have to look up her name, Jana Schmieding. She is a comedic force. She is fabulous. There are native writers on the show and a native showrunner, and it shows. Um, it's just, it's one of the best sitcoms in the last couple of years. Wow. Right. That's a strong Let me endorsement. Check it out. Let me check it <laughs> yeah, out. I definitely check it out. I think it's like, A, like she's not the only native character in the like no. sitcom, which is like really lovely, but also there's a Asian, Asian American non binary character, which I also thought was pretty cool. So, so you yeah. watched it too? You've seen I it? I watched it too. Definitely doing the free binge it within the week. It'll, it's short enough that you can do it. <laughs> so, They're very bingeable. Um, so, <laughs> my shout outs are to two books and then actually an artist that Crystal told me about. Um, so, first was Soledad Brother, which is a collection of letters written by George Jackson while he was imprisoned. Um, and it's like to various people, including like his family and the legal team members. And it's just kind of like a fascinating range of letters, right? Because he's like writing these letters to his families that are just about like family squabbles. And then they're like these amazing, incisive, like political commentary about like racial capitalism. So it's just like interesting to like read it as a collection. Um, and my second book is um, called Coming Out as Dalit by Yashika Dutt. And it's kind of like part, part memoir, part like journalistic sociological discussion about Dalits in India. And her own story was that like she basically um, sort of hid the fact that she was Dalit and partly she had sort of like educational privilege to be able to do that and kind of changed her name, which is one of the indications of caste in India. And so she mm -hmm. kind of talks about, right, sort of the why she came out as Dalit and kind of talking about that. Um, and finally, shout out to the artist Yeba, which like Crystal told me about. And I've been like listening to a couple of her songs like on repeat for the next, for the last like three weeks or whenever Crystal told us, told me about it. So yeah, thank you, Crystal. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so two books and listen to Yaba. And um, we're going to be taking a short hiatus for the summer. You have lots of books to read and lots of episodes to listen to and catch up. So, you know, go do that. There's like 33 <laughs> episodes or something like that. And a couple of movies also, for some reason, you're listening to this and you're not a reader, which would be weird, but you know, each to their own. Uh, <laughs> so we'll be back at you sometime in late summer. And just a reminder, as always, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, all the places where you can find podcasts. And I hope you all are getting vaccinated, but still staying safe, because obviously people are also not vaccinated. Everybody's not vaccinated yet. 
Thank you for listening. And we are still sending out just big virtual hugs to you all. Don't come up to us and hug us yet. All right. <laughs> Bye, y'all. <laughs> Bye. Bye. You have been listening to another brand new episode of The Drip recorded remotely in Minnesota from St. Paul, Minneapolis, and Northfield, and from Washington, D.C. The show is written, produced, and directed by Anita Chikator, Adriana Estel, Crystal Moten, and me, Todd Lawrence. We are the All Spoilers Collective. Special thanks to Lord Jordan X of Kansas City, Missouri for our theme music. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there, and happy Juneteenth all around the country. We are going to take some time off to enjoy the summer, so we'll catch you with a brand new episode sometime in August. Until then, please be kind to yourselves and take care of each other. Hey, is is that some peach cobbler? All right.